Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory and praise and honor for this redemptive historical thread that we see throughout your word leading to these moments. We ask you now, Lord God, once again to open up our hearts and our minds that you would minister your grace and mercy among us this afternoon. Help me now, your humble servant, Father God. As we approach this first word which our Lord Jesus Christ uttered as he was being impaled upon the cross, we ask this in his name, for his name's sake. Amen. Our first word is taken from Luke's Gospel, the 23rd chapter. I'll begin with the 32nd verse. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, where they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. These first words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ immediately as he was being hung and nailed upon this tree of cursing are fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said. One simple prophetic word among over 300 contained in the scriptures from Isaiah 53, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. During the hours preceding Jesus being crucified in these moments, he had eaten the Passover meal, which some of us were honored to be present last evening in Wilson Hall as our senior pastor, Dr. Ott, went through the Seder meal. He talked of Peter's denial. He spoke of one of them betraying him. He washed their feet. They proceeded to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, and Scripture describes that he sweated. He was in such agony and turmoil, not my will, that droplets like blood dripped from his face. He would be betrayed by a kiss, and first of all taken before Annas, who was the former high priest in those days. He had served for 16 years. Then he would appear before Caiaphas, who was the present-day high priest. There, gathered with him, with the Sanhedrin court. Here is where Jesus would begin to experience his abuse and the mockery. The Jewish elders, including the high priest, the scribes, and the Sanhedrin, determined in their hearts many, many weeks prior to these moments that we're spending together now, they determined that they wanted Jesus Christ dead, dealt with. He was taken then before Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. And earlier in Luke 23, we read this. So he, Herod, questioned him, that is Jesus, at some length, but he, Jesus, made no answer. 
The chief priests and the scribes stood by, passionately, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, and they mocked him. Then arraying him in a splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And the word of God instructs us that prior to this, Herod and Pilate had been at enmity with one another. But after this event and this occasion, they had become friends. Imagine that. They don't know what they are doing. It was customary at this time that the Roman governor, Pilate, and he would fulfill this custom to release a prisoner. And scripture informs us, as we just heard musically, that the crowd, this rabble, began to ask for one insurrectionist called Barabbas. Pilate would seek to release Jesus. He felt that he was not guilty of anything. On several occasions, he appealed with the crowd, trying to change their tone, their accusations, what they were crying out. Before being handed over to his Roman torturers and executioners, Pilate literally, symbolically washed his hands, declaring that the death of Jesus Christ was the responsibility of the people. In Matthew and Luke, we read this narrative. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time, Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. But we know that no one took Jesus' life from him. But Jesus surrendered his life according to only one's will, his heavenly father's. Jesus was then thrashed with barbed whips. And I remind all of you who have seen the passion of the Christ, perhaps that does not do justice to what the Roman executioners and torturers beat upon Jesus. The entire company of Roman soldiers were present, physically surrounding him. They twisted together and positioned a crown of thorns upon his head. A scarlet robe was laid upon him in jest, a reed given to him to hold in his hand in jest. In Matthew 15, we read, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They placed a cross upon his shoulders, and they led him out and began to make their way towards Calvary. Like one public enemy, as was the Barabbas that had been released. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene to assist the Lord Jesus Christ to bear his cross. A large number of people followed him, Luke declares, including women and mourned and wailed for him. They did. Jesus turned and said to them, these women, daughters of Jerusalem, Do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when they will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Jesus was speaking of a future time. Then Jesus said, They will say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. And then he uttered this proverbial reference. He said, For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And he drew this contrast between a green tree, alive and healthy, watered and tender, and he compared it with a dry, dead tree. Picture in your sanctified imaginations a desert. A thorny tree is what I think about a tree that is lifeless, perhaps a vulture sitting on it. And Jesus said this proverb, may God today give us ears to hear and eyes to see what was the meaning of this statement. In the midst of being led to his execution, he would utter such wisdom, such a warning. The live tree, most scholars believe, represent his purity, his holiness, His innocence and the dry tree represents the condition that all of us find ourselves in, being sinners and not innocent. And as we know, the tree that is green is difficult to burn, but the dry wood, it burns very, very quickly and readily. It perishes so easily. So thus, we believe that Jesus was trying to convey to these wailing grieving women that were following behind him. He's foretelling of the sufferings, perhaps one yet to come upon their city and the destruction of their temple under the weight of the Roman government. But yet scholars allude to the fact in these moments, Jesus was alluding those who could come to understand, alluding to the eternal separation that all those who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 11, Paul talks about how we are grafted in the olive tree. As Gentiles, we are grafted in and adopted as God's children. So thus applied, it means that the sufferings of the Savior is compared with the sufferings of the guilty. We're like the burning of a green tree, It's compared with the burning of one that is dry. There is no comparison. The green tree adapted to a degree, but the dry tree certainly is not. And as we hear these first words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. These words were applicable to all those who had any part 
in his trials, in his mockery, in his torture, the rabble, the crowd crying out, crucify him. It applied to all of them. As he laid down his life and they began to strike the nails through his hands and the nail through his feet, they came to that place of public execution, a place of public disgrace, Golgotha, the place of the skull, and they laid him down, himself giving all for each of every one of us, you and I. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They lifted Jesus up and piled on the tree, dropped him in a hole, and they placed a sign upon the cross which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Reverend Dr. Peter Marshall, he lived a short life, an untimely death in 1949. He was a Presbyterian minister in Washington, D.C., and began to serve as United States Senate chaplain. And shortly thereafter, at the age of 47, he suffered a a heart attack and died. And about these moments of which we are now reflecting upon, Jesus being nailed to the cross and uttering this first word, Dr. Marshall said this, When we are honest with ourselves, we know that we were there too, and that we helped to put Christ there. Because every attitude present on that hilltop that day is present with us now. Every emotion that tugged a human heart then tugs at human hearts still today. Every human being was represented at Calvary. Every sin was in a nail or the spear or the needle-like thorns. And pardon for all of us was in the blood that was shed that day. In a few moments, we are going to sing a hymn entitled, Ah, Holy Jesus. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Jesus declared that those in his hearing, they did not know what they were doing. May throughout the remainder of this afternoon together, as my colleagues come one by one, may each and every one of us, those here present and those still on their way, come to know and understand what it is we do and do not do according to God's will or contrary thereof. May those of us here today and know and love the Lord Jesus Christ be in awe of the simplicity and the horror of the price being paid to provide for us what we commonly refer to as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that continues, that God continues to want to be applied to each and every one of our lives, moment by moment. It is only by his grace that we are transformed And by anyone here today, you are doubting or you are seeking. May you come to know that the Lord Jesus Christ uttered this first word on your behalf as well. None of us knew what we were doing before we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May this realization, this reality, 
May those of us who know Christ not suffer from what Reverend Dr. Timothy Lane refers to as gospel amnesia this day. May we embrace what Christ is doing for us in these moments. If you are physically able, would you please kneel as I lead us in this first word prayer. Merciful God, grant me yet again your forgiveness. Forgive and cleanse me from my sins and blot them out of the book of your remembrance. Give me faith so to lay hold of your own holiness and so to rejoice in the righteousness of Christ my Savior that, resting on his merits rather than on my own, I may more and more become conformed to his likeness, my will becoming one with his in obedience to your will. All this I ask for his holy name's sake. Amen.